Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count. With Carl Truman, Todd Pruitt, and Amy Bird. Mortification of Spin is a weekly podcast from the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Well, welcome to Mortification of Spin. I'm Amy Bird, the housewife theologian of the bunch. And I'm here with my co-host, Carl Truman of Grove City College and Todd Pruitt of Covenant Presbyterian Church, professor and pastor. And Todd is also a Twitter extraordinaire, which we've, we've mentioned before. <laughs> You're not going to forget that one. <laughs> and that kind of comes yeah. up in our in our topic today, so I thought I'd go ahead and, and remind everybody of that. He came um, back by popular demand, but he, he was off for four hours and there was this uprise, <laughs> and he had to come back for the sake of civic. Uh, it's my duty. It's my the, duty. In the lower 48. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Okay, well, today I wanted, I had an email this week that I thought would be a good one to use as a topic for the show. So I'm going to read part of the email. It's from Sam. And he says, would you consider doing an episode on the reformed philosophy of missions? I thought about this topic in view of Todd's recent Twitter post about John Chow. The Twitter post was that John Chow's death was a missionary failure that we should not emulate. And so Sam says, while I agree with Todd's statement that this shouldn't be emulated, I haven't heard a lot about what missions should look like from a reformed perspective. So he has some questions that mm-hmm. I'm going to throw yeah. out to you guys. But before I do that, maybe, Todd, you could give us the mm-hmm. context of your, your extraordinaire. Sure. Yeah. Well, people will, people will remember the news that was made by uh, John Chow, a, an American who went to uh, an island uh, in the Indian Ocean, uh, Sentinel Island, uh, which is home to the remotest tribe on the planet as far as we know and they're very dangerous they they tend to kill uh people who who come to their shore or close to it and he went and and he was he was killed there uh, on the shores of of that island and uh there, there was lots of writing afterwards people praising him as a martyr other people criticizing him and i and i found an article by a a christian missionary a lutheran uh missionary that was that was run in a, in a publication called the federalist and i found his words to be very very helpful he he was very kind to the late mr chow he did not criticize him personally um his his critical remarks were reserved to those around mr chow who should have given him better counsel a, an equipping agency that does not actually equip its missionaries but has a three-week training course that looks more like a camp but certainly would not equip, certainly would not give language training or cultural training, and certainly not for the remotest and most dangerous tribe on the planet. And so the article I found to be very helpful in that it was, it was gracious to Mr. Chow, praised his evident sincerity and faith in Christ and a desire for people who don't know Christ to know Christ. And yet also, I think, helpfully said that particular approach, however, was was not helpful was not wise um and we can get into some of the details uh, this particular missionary talked about the fact that that this is already having negative reverberations towards missionaries in india it got seven people arrested who mr chow gave money to essentially bribed to get him to the island 
Um, and then, of course, once he arrived there, of course, did not know the language of the people. Uh, I think was under the impression that as he told them Jesus loved them, uh, the Holy Spirit would give them understanding, which, you know, uh, involves a lot of um, presumptuousness. So that's the context of that. And then, and then the, okay. the answer from this friend of ours, uh, who we don't know, uh, asking, so, so what is, you know, an approach, particularly what is a, a reform approach? I don't know that I'd be comfortable talking about a reformed approach to missions, but, but more just a, a responsible or a set of responsible approaches okay. uh, to missions. And I, th I think since the, the death of Mr. Chow, of John Chow, kind of kicked off the discussion, you know, we could probably think through uh, particularly missions targeted towards really difficult areas. Mm -hmm. One of the things that happened in light of, of John Chow's death were comparisons to Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, and that group of men that died in Ecuador at the hands of the Aka Indians. Right. And um, I, I disagree. That's not a good comparison. Elliott and company had lots of formal training. They had learned the language, and they had already made peaceful contact. Some people don't realize this. They'd already made contact with the Aka Indians and had and there are photographs of these men with some of the tribes people in, in earlier days. So they had already made contact. They knew the language. They had a strategy. They had backing. There was a full team with funding. There had been formal training um, and lots of people involved. And so so we're not suggesting a mode of, of missions that removes risk. Mm -hmm. But what we're saying is, is that any mission field needs to have training, backing, partnership, etc. And certainly, uh, risky missions work all the more um, needs all of those components. It doesn't mean it's going to remove the risk in all. Christians know that there are places where it is dangerous to evangelize. Uh, but the importance of church involvement, of good, solid, proven sending agencies, of wide partnerships, these things are essential to the task. So are you good with parachurch sending agencies or just only denominational I'm, ones? I'm, I'm not I'm not crazy about it, but I'm not anti that. I, I know of I know of missionaries whose primary sending agency was a parachurch organization, but they were still connected well and partnered with a church or churches. And there are there are missions agencies that do that well. And and I applaud that. I think, I mean, if you're not a Presbyterian or an Anglican, then mm -hmm. your sending agency is going to be a parachurch right. organization because, right. strictly speaking, the Southern Baptist Convention is right. a parachurch organization. Right. It doesn't right. have any real Baptist thinking. It, it doesn't have any real ecclesiastical authority as such. Right. So there, there's there's no formal. Have, yeah, there's not a I, congregation. Yeah, there's no uh, formal denominational structure yeah. there. Mm -hmm. So I would, I mean, I would go along with Todd and say, well, you know, I, I wish that all Baptists would be Presbyterians. That would obviously solve the problem. <laughs> but, uh, but given the reality that that isn't the case and will not be the case, mm -hmm. then some kind of ecclesiastically responsible or right. ecclesiastically minded parachurch organization mm -hmm. uh, is the next best thing. So right. they would, you'd kind of want them to have some sort of relationship with your church you're sending church with a church and and it may not you know when we when we talk about sending church you know we talk about churches that stand by you financially and prayerfully and mm -hmm. and, and ensure that you're getting training and again that can be done in partnership 
with with a non-denominational sending mm-hmm. organization and and i think that that's just the way it's got to be done um yeah. in in some cases which is fine but there ought to be a a good solid relationship with the church so that if nothing else if the sending agency doesn't know you well enough then at least your church knows you well enough to say right. you're ready or you're not ready mm-hmm. strictly speaking you should be a minister yes that's you know, what my next question was going to be only yeah. ministers and elders yeah. or it would depend on the, the specific task that was going to be fulfilled. I think in the OPC, we have sent out men uh, who are basically diaconal ministries. They mm-hmm. will go out to, to do things, uh, help with a medical mission or mm-hmm. something like that, where preaching the gospel is not central to what's going on. I think yeah. if you're sending somebody out to preach the gospel, they should be ordained. Yes. You should not set the bar any lower in terms of understanding and preaching ability for missionaries than we should for men in this country or in exactly. Great Britain. That's the New Testament structure for accountability, of course. Right. Those who are teaching the gospel are part of an eldership that holds them a presbytery, whether you consider that to be the local session or, as we Presbyterians do, a, a broader body that holds the person accountable for what they teach. You have to do that. Right. Yeah. This is what you see in Acts. Yeah. It's what's going on behind the scenes in the New Testament epistles. This is what you had. And, and if you think about in terms of training, and ability with the scripture do you really want to send somebody to a foreign culture who doesn't know the bible as well when they when they are going to have to make some really creative connections oftentimes with people from vastly different cultures i want somebody who really knows his way around the bible to be able to do that well it it requires it requires good knowledge of the scriptures to teach them in such a way that is effective to a, a culture who for instance wouldn't understand any anything about how we talk about the heart for instance you have to find new ways for for people to understand those you need somebody who's who's got some training in the scriptures to navigate those those waters and i would also say in an ideal situation you would never send somebody on their own either right you know in a military situation you don't parachute somebody behind enemy lines and then cut off radio contact you send in a team Right, uh, And really, when you're sending somebody to uh, a missionary situation, you want to send a team. Yeah, you know, We would never plant a church or should never plant a church with just one man mm-hmm. doing everything. Well, even more extreme would be the circumstances in a foreign country. Right. That person's going to need somebody local to hold him accountable. He's going to need somebody local to pray with, to be encouraged by. You want to send a team in. You don't want to send the one man. I mean, my, when I first read the, the Chow story, my first thought was clearly a very sincere young man, a very courageous young man. But what did he expect to do as one person arriving there? Right. The obvious result is you're going to get killed. Right. Or you're going to go native. You know, right. There seems to be those two sort of options, basically. It's going to be very difficult to survive as a, a one-man band Christian in very, very hostile territory. So the ideal, right. I think, would always be to send a team in. Mm-hmm. If you're going into new territory for the first time, send three or four families, if you can, mm-hmm. into that. Yeah. And, and in light of this, you know, I, I was asked, well, okay, so if, if you don't like the way he did it, then what would you have done, Pruitt? Well, First of all, I would I would ask people who are experts in 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 sending missionaries and in going themselves to hostile places. Um, you know, clearly you have to learn the language. I, I would tell anybody who's going to get in a boat and go to the most dangerous tribe on the planet and say, you know, the Holy Spirit will make my words understandable to them. I'd say you're crazy. Don't do it. Um, 
so somebody's got to break the code for their language. And what's interesting is anthropologists have, have discovered that the people on this island speak a, an entirely unique language. Nobody else on the planet, and it makes sense, they've been isolated for generations. Nobody else on the planet speaks their language. So how are you going to do that? You know, and then you've, you've, you've got to get through the, uh, the, the laws of the nation of India, which has cordoned that island off and said it's illegal to go to that island. They want to protect the tribe from infections. You know, it's a, it, it's kind of the noble savage sort of a understanding on that thing. You know, we just want to leave them alone. Um, now, I understand the safety issues, but, uh, you know, we do need to think about how do you reach these people. But the idea that you, that you bribe uh, unbelievers and risk their freedom I'm not comfortable with that. And people say, well, you know, we, we break laws to, to smuggle Bibles, you know, back in the old battle days of the Soviet Union. Well, again, you're dealing with people who knew what they were doing. They were willing to take the risks and they had Bibles in the languages of the people they were sending them to. Mm. You know, it's by and large, they weren't. They were trying to avoid detection by exactly officials. bribing officials. Exactly. They weren't out bribing officials yeah, yeah. And, and involving unbelievers in law breaking. Yeah. Which is, again, unfortunately, what poor Mr. Chow did. He involved yeah. unbelievers in breaking the law. And now there last I read, there were seven arrests mm -hmm. over this. I think part of our problem is how can I say this without making people mad? Let me think here. Just make people mad. Go on. <laughs> we want to be able to say a martyr, you know, because it, it provides a great story, a great article, a great sermon illustration. Well, certainly and, he and, was willing to die for the Lord. Yeah. And. I mean, and, we can say that for sure. And, and, and I would say, you know, I, I don't, oh, boy, this is hard because I, I'm going to make people mad. I, I think if you want to call somebody a martyr, the person needs to rise above the sorts of irresponsible actions that were, that were taken. It's almost like standing in the middle of a freeway to yeah. reach the gospel and being hit right. by a truck. And then, and then called a martyr. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, it's a difficult, I mean, it's a tragedy for his parents. It's a tragedy mm -hmm. for him. A young man who could probably have had a very productive uh, right. missionary life ahead of him. Right, right. Uh, well, yeah. here's another, you know, I'm going to have to ask this question as mm -hmm. the token woman. Of course. Um, so as far as sending ministers, and but also sending a team, I mean, women have often been very involved in missionary work and very successful in missionary work. What are always your need the coffee fetched. We always need <laughs> I told you, well, I know exactly what to put yeah. in your coffee for you. Yeah, I think the distinction and I think the distinction is, and Carl brought it out earlier, is is are, are those tasks that are reserved for at least what we in the reformed world believe are, are reserved for the ordained, the, the, the preaching of the gospel. There are lots of diaconal types of ministries and other types of, of ministries that you don't need to be ordained for to be very effective. And uh, in, yeah, I mean, there's more than a pastor in a church. Exactly. And, to be, and, to, be, and to be a key player mm -hmm. on the mission field. Um, you don't want me to try to figure out how to dig a well somewhere you don't want me providing medical care you don't want me giving clinics and that kind of thing i'll go so, there and preach but you want other people who, who do all of the other things so you'd have women digging the wells is that what you're saying absolutely <laughs> absolutely particularly amy bird i'd put a shovel in her hand that'd be a good exercise i'd sit off the side with a with a cigar and watch amy dig a well but i think um, you know that's a good analogy there Todd because when you when you think of what are missions in some ways the the closest analogy we have in this country is church planting right yeah you plant a church well typically nobody plants a church with one guy 
just renting yep. a hall and standing up preaching. I'm sure it does happen that way sometimes, but that's not the typical model. Right. Typical church band model involves four, five, 10, 15 families mm-hmm. setting up a church somewhere. So you've already got a critical mass of mm-hmm. believers. Now, it may not be possible in the mission field to accomplish quite that level, but the idea that you just send one man, one man and his wife, or two guys, and you drop them behind enemy lines, and that's a mission, that should only be the most extreme example. Right. Typically, you want to either be working with churches that are already established there in some ways, or you're wanting to send in a team mm-hmm. uh, to provide critical mass. And, and as Amy said, maybe just one guy's preaching, but if the pastor has a wife, the wife will be critical for pastoral yep. counseling and things yep. like this, critical for uh, encouraging her husband at times. He'll be critical for encouraging her. Uh, the idea of the isolated missionary, I think, grips the imagination as a romantic image, but really isn't a very practical or biblical kind of model. Paul, on his missionary journeys, by and large, is not wandering around by himself. Right. He's part right. of a team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, there were women who hosted churches. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you yep. know, quite, and help quite, fund. A, quite a bit, actually, and, and help and, fund and, and, and travel fund, with yeah. Christ. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So. Yeah, we don't want to keep women out. We first. don't want to keep women out, Amy. We know. <laughs> they can be empowered, too, in the mission. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, okay. Sam has another question that I wanted <laughs> to make sure I fit in, and that is, right. what are the OPC and PCA denominations doing to bring the gospel to the unreached, places where there's little or no Christian witness? That's an interesting question because, of course, one of the fundamental differences between the OPC and the PCA is the way we run our missions. Right. Uh, OPC missions are all centrally funded. Mm-hmm. The missionary is fully funded and centrally funded. So one of the big uh, things each year is the giving to uh, the foreign missions committee. Uh, mm-hmm. Each church is expected to give money to foreign missions. And then the, the church itself as a whole decides uh, who goes as missionaries where. One of the disadvantages of that, I think, is it means we don't have many missionaries in the OPC. One of the advantages, it, it means there's very careful church control over who becomes mm-hmm. a missionary. Mm-hmm. And those missionaries are, are fully funded, so they don't have to go around raising their own funding. When they, when they come back on furlough, furlough is a true furlough. Right. Uh, I think in the PCA, the PCA is, is more flexible on that front, and it still has central control over missionaries. You still have to be appointed mm-hmm. a missionary by the church, but the funding right. is diffuse. Missionaries raise their own right. funding, I think, essentially. Todd, isn't that the case? Yes, yes. And uh, so we have, we have a foreign mission organization in the PCA. It's called Mission to the World, um, and churches help fund some of those necessary operations, but the missionaries themselves have to raise their own funds. And I, I wouldn't want to do it that way. Personally, I love the idea. And I was again, I was raised Southern Baptist. And I love the fact that if you're a a Southern Baptist missionary, there are 1000s of full time Southern Baptist missionaries, their salaries are paid, those things are taken care of, and they don't have to, to raise the funds, I would love for us to do our funding in such a way, for instance, that, you know, the the, the campus minister we have here at at James Madison, that that he did not have to do his own fundraising, you know, I, I would love that. But that's one of the big differences. Now, how, how mission to the world, how the PCA, what we're doing around the world, there are examples that I can give you from places like Japan, which is one of the most unchurched nations on the planet. Japan is, uh, and, and it's declining um, even. I know we have a presence there seeking to, uh, to establish churches, but pretty much most places you can think of, you're going to find Presbyterian missionaries. Don't women make up most of the Japanese church? 
You know, I'm not sure what the figures are there. It's really hard. I don't know. I'm sure it it's is. It's hard. It's hard territory. It's There's very a line in the, in the movie Silence, isn't it? You know, Japan is a marsh. Yes. For, mm -hmm. for Christians. Yep. They yep. tend to, to disappear in the marsh. Mm -hmm. I would add what we just spoke about touches on something we were talking about before the program, and that's that often the mission field is the the soft underbelly or the point of the spear, yes. whichever we look at for, for theological progressivism, if not yes. liberalism. Mm -hmm. uh, the OPC was born out of a, a missions crisis, really, mm -hmm. in the Presbyterian Church. And I think funding could be a component in that, that if the funding ceases to be ecclesiastical, mm -hmm. if the church, uh, if the General Assembly doesn't keep close hold of the purse strings, then the potential for disaster, I think, mm -hmm. is, mm -hmm. is, gr is greater. Yeah, most denominations that have declined, either the first place where the decline begins or certainly up near the top is in their missions agencies and among their missionaries. Um, and why all that happens, I'm not sure. But one of the things you can pay attention to in your denomination is look at the, the publications that are put out by your missions agency. If you, if you get publications, for instance, from your missions agencies, and all they talk about is um, diversity in the arts, but don't mention conversion of sinners, you might have a problem. The arts feature heavily in OPC discussion submissions. <laughs> <laughs> Paint by numbers. You know, there's, a, there's another side to it. So I think that to be a successful missionary, you need to be, have an entrepreneurial spirit. Uh -huh. You need to get things done. You need yeah. to be able to work in difficult circumstances. Yeah. So to be, not to excuse mission work as the, as the point of the spear, but there are reasons why that might be the case because missionaries are often in tough situations and have got to right. get stuff done. Exactly. And the pressure and the temptation to cut corners for good reasons sure. is much greater in a missionary yes. context. And I think that the danger there is you know, cutting corners becomes a way of life and then it becomes the new orthodoxy. But to be fair to missionaries, it's hard to strictly follow the book of common order, yes. uh, book of church order, mm -hmm. every jot and tittle, sometimes in a very tough missionary situation. It can be right. tough in the local church in this country at times. Sure. In a missionary context, it is hard. And, and only those who are prepared to be a little bit flexible mm -hmm. will generally flourish as missionaries. Yeah. That's, that's, that's not accurate. meant as a criticism so no. much as uh, a, dis a description of the situation. Yeah, yeah I, th I think it's accurate. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're glad you joined us uh, today. Amy, thanks for bringing the question from Sam. Sam, thanks for asking. And, and please, if you're out there and if you have questions you'd like us to deal with, we're going to try to do that periodically. And we'd, we'd love to hear from you and uh, to hear your questions. Uh, we'd like to make available to several of our fortunate listeners a copy of the autobiography of John G. Patton. John G. Patton was a missionary to the New Hebrides Islands. His story is absolutely compelling. His biography is wonderful reading, and you will enjoy it very much. And so if you will go to our website, mortificationofspin.org, you'll see a place where you can register to win a copy of the autobiography of John G. Patton. And while you're there, please Remember that we are a, a listener-supported podcast, and if you would be so inclined to make a donation to the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals so that they can continue to provide this content, that would be much appreciated. So grateful that you joined us. We look forward to being with you next time on Mortification of Spin.
Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. To read more on hard-hitting topics like this, visit the podcast page and blog at mortificationofspin.org, where we'll have links and other articles from Amy, Carl, and Todd. And while you're there, please subscribe and consider making a donation. And be sure to listen next time when Carl, Todd, and Amy talk about Sabbath observance, as it used to be called, is probably the one thing that is most under pressure in contemporary American society. And what we see in the church here is a capitulation to that. Whether it's a workaholic culture or an entertainmentaholic culture, the Lord's Day has come under huge pressure. That interview is next time. Join us then. This tape will self-destruct in five seconds.